Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Bibles, turn to me to Acts chapter 15. We're going to finish up chapter 15 today. And as we do, we're going to be talking about disagreements. Are you excited about that? Any of you just love conflict? There's probably probably like three of you that have issues that that you actually do, but you're not going to admit that because that might get you in trouble. Uh, but whether you're talking about friendships, teammates, coworkers, families, marriage, whatever it is, we all experience conflict in one way or another. And in Acts 15, what we actually see is a sorrowful time. Two of the leaders in the church experience conflict. And Paul and Barnabas, two of the, uh, the, 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 the early leaders and two of the great leaders in the church who they'd served together. They'd bled together on ministry battlefields. They'd fought doctrinal battles together. They'd uh, defended each other and come to one another's defense. Uh, they had been friends over years. Uh, allow a somewhat minor disagreement to drive a wedge between the two of them. Uh, have you ever seen anything like that happen in our world? People who have lived and weathered storms together that find something causing a breach between the group of people it happens on teams all the time. It happens in workplaces, through partnerships all the time. It happens in marriages all the time. It happens in churches all the time. In fact, it's come a pretty standard joke for churches. If you've been around churches, you've probably heard the one about the guy who lived on an island by himself as kind of a castaway uh, for a number of years. And as he lived on that island, he weathered years and sort of survived and figured out how to do that. And he built a certain amount of structures. And when he was finally rescued, uh, the people went to the island and they began to explore. And they wanted to know how he had lived on this island for so long. And when they did, they noticed there were three buildings that he had constructed over his time there. And they said, well, tell us about the buildings. And he said, well, the middle one's the house that I lived in. And the one on the left is the church I attended. I said, oh, that's fascinating. Well, tell us, but what, what about the, the building on the right? And he said, well, that's the church I used to attend, <laughs> right? Uh, island by himself, wait for it, got it? Okay, yeah. Uh, conflict is one of those things that happens to all of us. And it's amazing how easy it is to get in a fight. And as much as we talk about love in the church, it's pretty easy to find something to argue about. Uh, if you're telling a, uh, or we're doing a movie of this scene, uh, probably, I'm going to guess you could find a Taylor Swift song that was about uh, some kind of friendship gone awry and everyone turning. Uh, and some of you will probably, you'll probably come give me the song later, right? Of what song would fit in the soundtrack of this. But uh, either a country song or a Taylor Swift song that would say like, oh, you know, my friend did me wrong and all these things happen. That's kind of the scenario that you're meant to feel as we come to this story. But friends, it's a good thing that God works in and through our messes. Uh, because as he's dealing with us, he didn't have any other, any other place to do his work. Uh, because we all get messy. We all have conflicts. We all fight with one another from time to time. And one day, he says he's going to come back and create a new world, a new heavens and a new earth, which means then the mess will be gone. And we long for that day. But until then, we have to walk through the messes, which means we better learn to live with the conflict. And 
You know, one of the reasons I have confidence in this book <clears throat> is because it's just so real about everyday stuff, isn't it? Like if you, if you read through this book, it's just time and again, you're like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. It rings true to our experience. And when I see the real problems that people have in the scriptures, it relates to the real problems of my life. And I, I hope that is gonna be true for you today. That as you think about conflicts and where you butt heads with someone and you think about what that means, that it's gonna tell you that the scriptures are being honest about life and what it looks like to learn to walk under God's care in the midst of a broken world. And maybe you're here today and you're not sure what you think about the Christian faith. Maybe you're seeking the truth and you're exploring Christianity and you want to know like what this is, but one of the hangups that you've got is this whole problem called the church. You're like, man, I, I like this idea of Jesus, but when I look at the church and the people that call themselves Christians, I don't always love what I see. In fact, sometimes I feel a distance or a disconnect from the people that are there because they don't seem to look like Christ. And I hear all this talk about love and grace, but people don't always seem to live it out. Well, friend, can I tell you that maybe uh, just a little bit of encouragement for you, uh, that actually reinforces the main message of Christianity. The reality that none of us have it all together actually reinforces the fact that we are all sinners in need of a savior and we could not save ourselves, but Jesus had to come to the rescue because we continued to make a mess of our lives and of our relationships and of our families and of our workplaces, and of all the things that go on in our life. And so there's only one true hero of Christianity, and that's Jesus Christ. The rest of us are beggars trying to show one another where to find the bread of life. Ultimately, that's what we are all about. And so I think that's why Luke gives us these six verses at the end of Acts um, chapter 15. And as he does, I think it's, it's not marketing or false advertising. It's real truth about real situations in the messiness of life. And if you and I are going to walk through the messy conflicts of life. That's, that's really not a question, right? The question is, how are we going to navigate the conflicts as they come our way? Um, let's, uh, let's look at these verses where two men are going to blow it, and we will too. But let's watch and see what we can learn about how to walk with grace in the midst of the mess. So Acts 15, starting in verse 36, says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So you have this scenario where these two guys are going about and they're going about their ministry and their business. They've been doing ministry together for a number of years. And it says that they wanted to go back to all the churches that they had planted. So on their first missionary journey, they had traveled to a number of cities. They planted new churches. They'd preached the gospel. People had gotten saved. They'd gotten baptized. They'd gotten together in these communities called churches where uh, they began to grow in the faith. And then Paul and Barnabas moved from one city to another to another. And they went back. And so they're about to begin what's called the second missionary journey. So they're going to go on another missionary mission trip. And what Paul says is, let's go back and revisit all the churches we started before, and let's just check in on them, see how they're doing spiritually. It makes sense. What you see here is the principle of follow-up. 
the principle of follow-up says when someone comes to Christ, someone needs to come alongside them. Someone needs to put their arm around him and say, hey, walk with me and let me show you what it looks like to follow Jesus. In fact, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and baptize them, people in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. So you're to go to all these places. You're to baptize people, meaning they become new believers in Christ, but then you don't just dunk them and leave them there. You're supposed to teach them to observe everything uh, that Jesus had taught them. Teach them how to follow Jesus. And so you go and, and it says in scriptures, as I follow Jesus, you follow me. Uh, we, we oftentimes talk about this as discipleship. And so we are called to go and make disciples of Jesus and help people learn what it is to live under the care of Jesus and to walk like Jesus. So that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They said, let's go back and check in on all these people and see how they're doing. Incidentally, uh, do you ever get tired of hearing us give announcements and say, we would love to get you connected to a group. We would love for you to jump through a membership workshop. Uh, we would love, uh, Chase is really good at this. Chase has got it down completely. And so you probably hear Chase uh, or Audra or one of us almost every week say, hey, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to help you get plugged into our body. We'd love to connect you with a group of people who would walk alongside you and pray for you and encourage you and walk with you. It's because of this. Because Paul and Barnabas understood that if we were going to help people grow as authentic disciples of Jesus, we needed to follow up. And so when we do those things, it's not us sort of making an announcement or commercial for some church program. It's us trying to live out what the scriptures call us to do. We're just trying to do what Jesus asked us to do, which is help people meet Jesus and then learn to walk with Jesus and, and what that means. That's the deep, meaningful life that we talk about. So that really is what's driving Paul and what's driving Barnabas in the middle of this, uh, this scenario and what's going on in this situation. Now, when you get down to verses 37 and 38, what we see is really the setup to this tension. Barnabas said, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Um, just so you know, that's not like some uh, secret identity. The John's, he's like, I'm John, no, I'm Mark. He's not, he's not like undercover somewhere. In that world, they often use different names of different cultures that they were interacting with. And so John, Mark, sometimes we call him John Mark, sometimes he's John, sometimes he's Mark. Uh, but, but this is all the same guy. So Barnabas wanted to take with them this one named John Mark. But Paul, it says, does not count it wise to bring John Mark because on a previous mission trip, John Mark had bailed out on him. Now, we don't really know the history. We don't really know how all that worked out. We just know that on that mission trip, they'd all been going together. And so Paul and Barnabas had been sent by the Holy Spirit. We read about it in Acts 13. The Holy Spirit sent them out on this mission trip. And as they went, they took this younger assistant named John Mark and said, hey, come and go with us. And along the way, they had carried on and had good ministry. Uh, there were good things that happened. But something happened after the team uh, left to go to the next stop. And this, man, this young man, John Mark, it says bailed out and left. In fact, we can read about it in Acts 13, 13. It says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Pamphos to go to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Luke doesn't make a big deal out of it. In 13, he just presents it as a fact. But obviously, it was a very big deal for John Mark. Now, who is this guy, John Mark? In fact, he's got a really long history in the Bible. When you uh, go back and you kind of look at... Um, kind of the, what, what, where else he shows up in the scriptures. Uh, John Mark's mother was a, Mary, a woman named Mary, uh, was likely a wealthy family in, uh, that lived in Jerusalem. In fact, when, uh, when Peter was in, was in jail and he escaped and God allowed him to escape and 
the disciples that said we're all in an upper room praying. And Peter showed up and they were like, whoa, it's a ghost and kind of freaked out uh, because they knew Peter was supposed to be in prison. Uh, that was actually in John Mark's mother's house. So it was in the upper room that they prayed. Uh, there uh, is some speculation that that upper room is actually where the Last Supper took place, that that's where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Last Supper, was in John Mark's mother's house there in Jerusalem. Uh, there's even some speculation that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that when uh, the people came to arrest Jesus, it said Peter cut off um, one of the guard's ears and Jesus like, Peter, dude, not again. And had to put his ear back on. You're losing your temper. Um, it says when they tried to seize them, they seized one of the young men named Mark and his robe fell off and he was, had nothing else on. So he ran away buck naked from the scene. There's some rumor that that may have been the same John Mark that we're talking about here. And so this guy's got a long history in the scriptures and it's important to understand that he was clearly well-known from a well-respected family. He was likely friends with Jesus before Jesus died. And this was a very influential family in Jerusalem in the early church. And so this was a significant moment um, in the life of this, uh, this, kind of, uh, this young man's life. And, and also for Paul and for Barnabas, which is why when we get to verse 39 and 40, it says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. So they didn't agree on what ought to happen with this young man. Now, um, the disagreement is pretty obvious. Barnabas is like, dude, he should go with us. Give him another chance. And Paul's like, man, he bailed on us last time. We've got a serious mission ahead. We can't afford to bring this guy with us. And they begin to butt heads over what it is that they need to do. Now, let me begin by just saying, this is a conflict among good men. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, these weren't crazy wheels off uh, sort, of, sort of guys that were just running rabid uh, throughout the relational world. These are guys who had been the top leaders in the church. They're two of my favorite people in all the Bible. They're people that, that show up again and again as doing some remarkable mission for uh, Jesus and remarkable ministry for Jesus. In fact, Acts 11 says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was the one that, that the church appointed and said, hey, we're hearing that all these Gentiles are getting saved. You go tell us and check it out and come back and report to us. So he was trusted leader within the church to make wise decisions. Now, Paul also was a good man. In fact, Paul's the one that Jesus himself in a vision to Ananias spoke about Paul and said, he's the one I've chosen to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So friends, these guys that are button heads are not crazy, man. These are good men. These are strong leaders in the church, and they had a great track record together, but they're about to get sideways. Uh, when it says sharp disagreement, um, that doesn't mean like they just disagreed gently. Uh, sharp disagreement means that this was, a, uh, th th this was a heated argument. In fact, the term that's used there is, uh, is the term we get paroxysm from. Uh, paroxysm is defined as a sudden attack or violent expression of a particular emotion or activity. Now, you may not know how to spell paroxysm, but I promise you, you would recognize it when you saw it. Um, you've been in one of these before and you didn't realize you were paroxysming. It's not, I'm just making up words now, but, uh, but, but you know what this, what this looks like. What it's saying is these dudes were in a heated argument. It's one of those arguments where instantly they're like, all right, let's go. You know, and they're starting to retreat to their corners. And these are two Christian leaders in disagreement. Friends, arguments like this can happen amongst good men, good men and women, can't they? Um, you've probably been in them yourself. You've probably experienced something like this 
at one time or another. I could tell you stories all day long of how these things happen. This is why some dudes leave the ministry. They're just like, dude, I'm tapping out. I'm tired. I'm tired of the fight. I'm tired of those things. But these conflicts don't just happen with church leaders. We all experience conflicts in different avenues of life, whether it be, whether it be our, um, our, our family or marriage, our work or our school, uh, whether it happens in, in, with roommates or coworkers or neighbors or friends, conflicts happen all the time. So I want us to lean in. I want us to do two things. One, I want to talk through uh, kind of factors that affect us when we're in a conflict. And then I want to talk through kind of how we should respond by, to walk through conflicts with grace. Sound good? Um, friends, the thing that I think we just need to say out loud is conflict is an equal opportunity to destroy her. Conflict doesn't, doesn't spare anyone. It's an equal opportunity to destroy. It'll destroy any relationship anywhere if we're not careful and if we're not watching over those things. So let's talk about how and why these things happen in our lives. First, let me say what this conflict is not uh, because I think that's important just to set up the conversation and understand what kinds of conflicts we're talking about. Uh, we're not talking about some kind of sexual immorality or some kind of radical sin development that's happened in these life. This is not someone who's fallen into a sinful pattern of behavior that's going to ripple through the community that needs to be addressed. Uh, this is not that kind of a scenario. We're not talking about abuse of any kind. We're not dealing with some kind of physical, sexual, uh, emotional abuse that, that would need to be addressed in a different kind of way. We're not talking about fraud or deception or lies for personal gain. We're not talking about doctrinal heresy and uh, dis, uh, disregard for what God's word says. Um, those, those kinds of situations are much more clear and demand a much more, uh, much more immediate action. In fact, if, um, if you're in one of those situations, we're forced to draw a line to protect people around us and set a boundary on things because immediately those things become dangerous for others. And so uh, with this conflict that we're talking about with Paul and Barnabas, though, it's not really any of those things, is it? It's about something much more mundane. Should this brother get to go on a mission trip with us or not? And they're like, boom, let's go at it. And there are reasons for that, but I think it's important to think through the different scenarios that we face. Uh, so here's what I want to do. I want us to kind of break down. I used to play, when I played football, uh, we'd play a game on Friday night, and we always had to get up early on Saturday morning to go in and watch game film. It was helpful to break down the game film and say, okay, let's go back and sort of dissect what happened and play uh, Saturday morning quarterback and, and reevaluate the things that are going on uh, or the things that just happened. And so I, I want to just make some highlights of some things that I think helped led to this conflict with Paul and Barnabas that also happened to us. So five factors that impact our disagreements. The first is emotional investment. Um, people that are passionate about the mission are most likely to get sideways. Uh, you know, if you don't care about something and someone changes it, you're just like, eh, whatever, Right? It just doesn't matter a whole lot. You drive down the street and there's a fast food restaurant that you would never been to and you don't care about and you're never going to go to and, and they change the menu. How much does that affect you? Couldn't care less. Um, but if you go to your favorite restaurant, the place that you go when you want your comfort food, when you had a bad week and you're rolling in and you're like, I just want to go get this meal and that'll just make my day easier. And you go and you get there and you order it and the, the wait staff goes, oh, we don't serve that anymore. I mean, how does that affect you? Now all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. 
You're just like, I'm out. You know, you're throwing your napkin down the table, going to find another restaurant. And like, you get all upset because you care about it. When you're emotionally invested in something, it impacts how you feel about it. And what you see in this scripture, I think in, in, in life is those who are most highly committed care the most about the outcome of what's there. So Paul and Barnabas are fully invested in the gospel and in advance of the mission. They care passionately about the church, about what's going on, about all the things that are happening. And because they're so invested, they feel strongly about the outcomes of the decisions that are being made in the midst of that. Have you ever heard the phrase, mama bear defends her cubs? Yeah, like you don't, you don't want to get, you don't want to step on mama bear's toes. A mama bear is going to, you know, if you, if you do something that hurts the cubs, mama bear is coming for you. And we all know that to be true. And the reason why is because she loves so deeply her kiddos. Amen? Uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But here's the thing. Sometimes that emotional investment gets the best of us. And a healthy emotional connection can become an unhealthy emotional reaction when we're in conflict. It's not that the emotional investment's bad, it's just that sometimes it can get turned against us. You know, in martial arts, sometimes they teach you to, to take the strength of someone's attack and deflect it and use it against them to knock them off balance. I think sometimes that's what happens when you're emotionally invested is when you go at something, you sometimes can get off balance because you're so invested in trying to make the outcome move a certain way. Sometimes our commitment and our passion can cause us to lose our balance. Friends, can I just say most of the decisions I see with people that step away from relationships or groups or move away from the church are not first theological or moral, they're emotional. That when we make an emotional reaction to something, it causes a rift between a relationship and we begin to withdraw and then we begin to justify that by finding a theology that explains what it is we want to do. So that's, I think it's important to acknowledge the good and the bad of our emotional investment. Secondly, personal temperament. Our greatest strength may be our greatest weakness. Every sort of gold characteristic you have has a shadow side as well. And so as you think about that, uh, I, I love thinking about these two guys. Barnabas was known, we, we find out earlier in Acts, that he was a son of encouragement. He was a generous compassionate leader. In fact, in Acts 4, when the church came together and they found out there were poor people in their midst that had needs, Barnabas was the first one to sell his personal property and his land in order to provide for someone else's needs. So Barnabas is a guy that he's motivated to meet someone's immediate need in a, in a real sort of a way. He was the first one to defend Paul after his conversion. Paul had been a persecutor of the church and everyone was scared of him. And when Paul got converted, he got saved and, and began to preach Jesus, Barnabas was the guy that was like, Jesus is at work in this guy's life. Let's be on his side. And he invited Paul to be on his team. Barnabas was the guy that when he saw, he saw there was a need for a great communicator and, and a wise man to interact with the Gentiles, he's the one that went and got Paul and brought him in and put him on the team in the mission and put him on staff at the church. Um, he's the one who here wants to support John Mark and give this young guy a second chance because he's patient with the, with the failures of others. Do you get a sense of what, what Barnabas' temperament would be like? This guy who's a mercy-driven, compassionate, I want to meet someone's needs, I want to meet them in the nitty-gritty of the thing right now. Um, that, I think, sways how it is that Barnabas begins to interact. But it's a remarkable, these are remarkable traits for a spiritual leader. Now, uh, that's one side of the ring. In the other corner, you have Paul. Uh, Paul is a very different sort of guy 
from Barnabas. In fact, Paul was known as a zealous man. When he was not a Christian, he was zealous fighting against Jesus. Then he gets saved, and all of a sudden he's zealous fighting for Jesus. And so whatever that passion, that, that kind of like, I'm gonna go get everything, and I'm gonna give everything I got to it, Paul's got that no matter where he is at any time. He's got a single-minded commitment to take the gospel where it's never been shared. Paul's the guy that in any meeting, they go, what should we do? And he goes, we should take it as far as we can. Like we should go to the ends of the earth. And he begins to point, he's a visionary leader that sees the next step and the next step and the next step where he wants to go. He's a very mission-focused guy. In fact, one time Paul says, he says, hey, this isn't really scripture, this is just me, but I wish everyone was single like I am so they weren't distracted by family and could be completely devoted to the mission. Um, that's a guy who's sort of obsessed with getting things done, right? Can you understand what that would be like to live with him? He was unrelenting in his efforts to spread the gospel everywhere. In fact, he was probably, he's probably the most impactful church planter and missionary and theologian the church has ever seen. And so Paul was this incredibly powerful leader. He was also fearless. He was fearless in the face of authorities. He was fearless in the face of persecution. Dude was stoned and walked away from it. He was fearless in the face of death. He's like, you can kill me. I'll be okay. In fact, his motto was, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, how's that? What are you gonna do to me now? You know, it's like, if you, you keep me here, I'm gonna give you Jesus. You kill me, I get to go with you with him. Let's go. Um, these two leaders approached things from their own perspective, which meant they had unique understandings and their temperament colored the way in which they saw this situation, didn't it? You can see how that would play out in the midst of this scenario. If you're married, you understand that temperament of your spouse is not, not the same as yours. That you're not always gonna approach things and feel the same way about the scenario that you see. You're gonna look at a parenting situation and you just might come at it from different angles sometimes. I just, just want you to know that if you weren't aware. Um, but these are things. It's why workplaces talk about temperament profiles because these are normal tensions in the life of, um, of people. So it helps us to grow an awareness of these things. So third, let's look at timing. Uh, sometimes timing can add to the intensity of a, of a conflict. Uh, friends, hurry always expedites worry. And so when we're in, a radic we're in a hurry in the midst of a conflict, it just makes things worse. I think, you know, uh, this conflict that, that Paul and Barnabas had with John Mark happened two to three years earlier. But all of a sudden they're trying to solve the problem when they've already packed their bags and are walking out the door. And, and so that I think makes this even more difficult. Maybe, maybe we should start and process our hurts a little bit earlier can I encourage you to lean into the tension before the time starts ticking and everyone starts to feel the pressure a little bit more? Uh, fourthly, I think context impacts our disagreements. Um, there's a specific context. And, and, and honestly, I look at the scenario. Uh, maybe they were both right. Uh, maybe Barnabas looks and he sees John Mark and he goes, man, this guy's at a crossroads. He's at a vulnerable moment. We need to come alongside him and put our arm around him and make sure that he doesn't get sideways and make sure that, that he's built back up and nurtured and encouraged and, and, and strengthened so that he has a life of ministry ahead of him. And so maybe Barnabas was right in that regard. But maybe Paul was also right. Because Paul knows what's ahead in this mission. When we go on this mission trip, we're going to face hardship. We're going to face persecution. And, and think, there's going to be bullets flying in terms of spiritual, spiritual battles. And if this guy's not ready, it may actually do him more harm than good if he's with us. And it may actually do, do, the, mission, um, do the mission harm. So sometimes the way in which you see it based on the context of the scenario you're looking at, I think influences the way in which we 
um, deal with conflicts. Lastly, I think, is value. And what's the highest value personally in making this decision? I think for Barnabas, it was relationship. Now, we, we find out from uh, later in the New Testament that Barnabas was actually John Mark's cousin. So these two guys are family. They're related. So, so he was going to go home and report to Mary, his aunt, how he treated John Mark. Um, he had lived in Jerusalem. He'd had this long history. And so when you think about all the family ramifications, you know that had to weigh on Barnabas. He's like, man, this little guy, this is my family. I need to take care of him. And so that's going to shape and, and shapes Barnabas's values. But now Paul, think about it from his perspective. Paul is going on this missionary journey, and that was what was primary for him was the mission. There was an urgency because God had personally, Jesus had shown up and knocked, literally knocked Paul off his high horse and drafted him into, onto the team and given him a specific mission to go and, be the, and share the gospel with the Gentiles. In fact, what Jesus said to Paul, or said about Paul was, he's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So for Paul, beginning this mission trip, he's starting out going, this is going to lead to suffering. I know what's ahead for me. And he expected it to come on this trip, so it seemed risky to take a timid soul into certain hardship. And so Paul, I think, valued the, the success of the mission over everything. Friends, do you see how life is full of complex decisions like this? You know, it's fascinating if you look at 1 Thessalonians. It says, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. If you just read that verse, what's it say you should do in this scenario? You should be on John Mark's side, right? But you go to another place in the scriptures and it says that, uh, that, uh, that, that we're not to lay hands on leaders too quickly, that we're not to bring them along unless they're well-proven and above reproach. That seems to say, well, maybe we shouldn't take John Mark. That's the complexity that we all have to deal with in life. And what it takes is wisdom to navigate those scenarios. Friends, have you faced difficult decisions like that as well? Like sometimes you come to those places and you have, to, you have to butt heads a little bit and try to figure out what it is that's right. That's what these two men are arguing over in the midst of the scenario. So uh, I just want to take a quick poll. Uh, who is right, Barnabas or Paul? Uh, which ones do you go, it's, it's Barnabas? Which one of you are like, are sure it's Barnabas that, that was right in this scenario? Uh, some of you do. I know some of you are feelers, you're compassionate people. Tell me the truth. Which one, if you had to pick, which one do you think it's Barnabas? Barnabas. All right, I knew you'd pick Barnabas. Um, uh, which of you go, no way, it was Paul all the way, for sure. Uh, yeah, we don't know. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us, scriptures don't tell us. There's no answer here in the Bible that tells us exactly who is wrong. Uh, but here's the good news. What we do know for sure is that when God's people con conflict, God's grace continues. That even when God's people conflict, God's grace continues. And we're going to see how that plays itself out. So I'm going to run through really quickly a list of just uh, kind of what it looks like to walk through conflict with grace. Uh, this is going to move really quickly. I can't break all these down. Part of me wants to. Don't have time. So uh, we're just going to run through this. So the first thing you got to do is disagree agreeably. Um, we have to sometimes just agree to disagree. It may be that you come to a scenario and you don't see the things the same way. That like Paul and Barnabas, you get to a place where you're like, man, in my, clear, in my conscience, I have to stay with John Mark. And Paul's like, in my conscience, I can't bring him along. And so they have to agree to disagree. Now the trick in the midst of that is that you can disagree without putting your finger on the red button and pushing the nuke. Like you don't have to blow things up. I think it's important that we don't, we don't have to belittle and demonize and demean and cancel someone. 
just because we don't see eye to eye on a secondary matter. So we can disagree agreeably. We can still be kind and gracious and generous. Uh, Secondly, uh, we're to seek unity, not uniformity. Friends, we need togetherness in the gospel and in the mission and in our worship of Jesus, but that doesn't mean we all look just alike. That doesn't mean we all think just alike. It doesn't mean on secondary matters, we all want to do things exactly the same way. And so there's, uh, there's a diversity amongst the church. In fact, uh, the scriptures say that in one body, there's many body parts and we all are valued and call it. We're not, none of us can say to another body part and say, ah, oh, dude, I don't need you. Because there's something about our diversity that is beautiful when it works together in the unity of the body of Christ. And we're called to do that. In fact, Jesus himself is praying to the Father and he said, I do not ask it for my disciples only, but I ask it for all those who come after them who would believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that, so that the world may believe that you sent me. What it's saying is the world will know that Jesus is real when we have the oneness that the Father and the Son have. That's what Jesus prayed for us. That's, his, that's what he desired for us. When he got to a quiet place with his heavenly father and said, Father, the thing I want most for my followers is that they would be as close to one another as I feel to you. That's what, that's what Jesus prayed for us. So for, friends, let's seek unity. Thirdly, never retaliate or dishonor a brother or sister. Um, Christ also said, uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, uh, how did Christ love you when you, uh, when, you, when you conflicted with him, when you were an enemy? He sacrificed and died for you. We're called to love one another as Christ loved us. Uh, Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Becoming one of my favorite verses over the last 10 years. Outdo one another in showing honor. Someone honors you, you're like, I got a little more. Let me give back to you. Um, What does it look like to to outdo those even that you disagree with at times? Fourthly, whenever you must part ways, look for an exit ramp. Uh, When you drive your car down the highway at 75 miles an hour, uh, in a 75-mile zone, not in the 55. Uh, When you drive your your car down the highway at 75 miles an hour, uh, what's going to happen if you take that wheel and just do one of these? Nothing good. Um, what do you do when you're driving on 75 and you need to make a change? You wait for an exit ramp. And you make a healthy transition. So friends, if you come to a place where you have to part ways, where there's no way in a clear conscience the two of you can agree and you can, you can, uh, you can come together on something, then when you disagree agreeably, look for a natural healthy exit to make the, the transition uh, as, as painless as possible. Uh, fifthly, move ahead without holding a grudge. Do you know the scriptures say it's, it's to the glory of a man to overlook a transgression? It's to your glory when you overlook someone's shortfall. When you disagree with someone, when you don't agree and you think they're making a, a mistake, not, not, not one of the serious ones we talked about earlier, but when, you, when, when you're in a situation like this and you overlook the disagreement, it says it's to your glory, it honors you in the way in which you interact. And so it's important that we're quick to forgive, that we resist the temptation to assume the worst, that we don't gossip, but we move ahead without holding a grudge. Sixthly, fix your eyes on Jesus. Friends, how many heroes are there in the church? There's one. And I'll just tell you, as a church leader, every church leader will let you down. 
I'm a a guy who studied church history all my whole life, and one of the things that I saw throughout all of church history is that whether it's Augustine or Calvin or Luther or Edwards or anyone that we put on a pedestal in the church history, you read long enough, you scratch your head and go, dude, what were you thinking there? Because you're completely wrong. And I think the reason is because there's one Savior, and his name's Jesus. And so we fix our eyes on him. There's only one through whom every knee will bow. Uh, we call it Christianity, not Bobbyanity or Susananity, because it's about Christ. And, and so, friends, if you go, man, I'm not sure about the church. They always seem to let me down. What we go is, high five, you're right. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have communion. That's why we do the things we do, because none of us could save ourselves. We're all jacked up and we're all messed up and we create messes for ourselves. And so we needed a savior to come save us and rescue us. None of us are kings. Jesus is king. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus. And lastly, keep on keeping on until the Lord takes you home. We'll get an Oklahoma phrase to end it all. I love him at the end of this passage, when you get down to 40 and 41, it says, but um, they commended the brother, Paul was commended by the, the brothers to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He went on about the mission. Friends, God is so gracious to the mission. We mess it up all the time, but God's gracious. So um, what happened in the midst of this story? Um, so what, what, what God did in the midst of this mess was he actually took one mission and turned it into two missions. Paul, uh, I mean, Barnabas and, and John Mark went back to Cyprus. They actually went back to, uh, to, to Barnabas's hometown. It, it likely was a less intimidating, less difficult journey. And I think he went and he built up John Mark and, and, and strengthened John Mark in the faith. And it turned out to be a good thing, as we're going to see. Paul grabbed another guy named Silas. Silas is one that had been sent from, from Jerusalem. And he said, Silas, you're now my teammate. Let's go. He didn't go, well, I'm done with this. I've had some conflict. I'm going to exit. No, he says, I'm going to grab a new teammate. And Silas and I are going to go. And what we're going to see in the next chapter is that he grabs another young man named Timothy and begins to disciple him and mentor him and build up Timothy because he's going to continue the work of, the, of spreading the gospel of Jesus in the church. Now, let me just um, kind of do a, a pullback for one second on these guys. Um, what happened to Paul after this conflict? Well, he went on to write most of the New Testament and become the most effective missionary and church planner in history. Uh, what about Barnabas? Do you know that later, Paul's going to write another letter, and he's going to lift up Barnabas as an example. He says, hey, Barnabas and I are together, and both of us are examples that you should follow. And so Paul didn't hold this against Barnabas, but he ultimately says, even though we disagreed in that, Barnabas and I were on the same team, and Barnabas is doing good work, and he's an example that you should follow. So Barnabas and Paul are restored. And what is it about, what about John Mark? Do you know in first? First uh, Peter, we, we see that, that Peter writes, I send you greetings, and so does John Mark, my son. And in Philemon, Paul's writing at the end of the letter, and he says, uh, the, he lists a group of people, and he says, they all send greetings to you, and so does Mark, who's with me. So now Paul and John Mark are together at the end. In fact, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, Paul writes this, and I love knowing everything we know about this conflict that just happened. I love the end of this story. He says, uh, he writes to Timothy, he says, get John Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful for me in my ministry. Isn't that beautiful? The restoration that takes place there. 
And so Paul will go and, and travel in his mission trip. Uh, Barnabas and John Mark will continue their mission trip, and the work of God continues to flourish throughout the, uh, throughout the, the region. Friends, can God work through imperfect people? And he'd better, because that's the only hope we got, um, because we all need Jesus. Um, some of us have, have allowed conflicts like this to keep you away from, the, from a full enjoyment engagement of the church for way too long. Some of you have allowed a hurt and a conflict of the church to force you to keep a distance. And I just want to encourage you and commend you to the grace of God as they did Paul. Keep on keeping on until the Lord calls you home. Don't allow, don't allow the minor losses to keep you from the major wins for the glory of God, for the name of Christ, and for the good of his church. Let me pray for us. Father, in you, our disagreements are temporary, but our destiny is forever. Father, you keep us from getting sidetracked by anything that's trivial. Father, would you, by your grace, work in our hearts to bring about the fullness of joy in your church. Father, when we blow it, would you help us to keep short accounts? Would you help us to, to love one another well? And we might look to the world as one, even as you and the Son of one. Father, we pray it through him.